Well, as we saw in the video, <coughs> excuse me, uh, the one lady only liked to read things that were juicy or things that Paul wrote and ignored all the rest of Scripture. And so as I think about that, I think about sometimes our own diet. And uh, we love our junk food. I don't know what your favorite junk food is. This is one of mine is a hamburger. I, I probably could eat a hamburger every day and not be disappointed by that. So that is one of my junk foods. And we, we have our favorites, those ones that when we're just craving salt or we're craving fat or we're craving sugar uh, that we go to. And it seems like every time we eat it, it brings satisfaction. It brings comfort. Uh, we don't think about the consequences of what it does to our bodies. We just enjoy it. And what more can you say about macaroni and cheese? I think that's the perfect comfort food. Today, on a day like today, wouldn't it be just great to go home for lunch and just have a big bowl of macaroni and cheese, curl up in a blanket, and have a hot beverage, all right? You're already thinking about it, okay? So we have these foods that are comfort to us. They are our go-to junk food, and we know that doing that constantly is not healthy for us, is it? Uh, when that's all our diet is, filled with salt and fat and sugar, we're missing out on the vegetables. We're missing out on the fiber that is needed for our bodies for us to be healthy. But we often don't like those things because they don't taste as good. And so we go back to the junk food. Well, it's almost the same when we talk about Scripture. Not that any of the Scripture, if you eat it and read it and study, it's bad for you. None of it's bad for you. But we have those verses that we go to those chapters that we read, those stories that we recite. And sometimes that's all that we eat of the Word of God. I mean, think about these verses. I mean, we memorize them and we hear sermons about them and we celebrate them. This is just a handful. I just wanted to fill up the slide. I could have gone farther. But for God so loved the world. I mean, that's a go-to verse, isn't it? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I mean, that, that's the verse of a warrior right there. You can go out and conquer the world reciting that verse. What about Isaiah 40? Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They should mount up on wings like eagles. They shall walk and not grow weary. They shall run and not grow faint. Don't you just devour that verse and, and love it and go to it and... Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, plans for well-being, not for destruction. We love these verses, and we go to them. We should. The Scripture gives us comfort. The Scripture is there in times of need. When we memorize verses like these, they become part of our brain, really, and in time of need, they come to us. God speaks to us through them. But there's so much more in Scripture than the comfort verses that are there. The verse that we have seen a couple of times already in this series is 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped, for every good work. The key word is the very first word. All scripture. 
Not just our favorite verses, not just the ones that are easy to understand, but all Scripture. Notice that everything in Scripture is useful in some way. See the list for teaching us, rebuking us, correcting us, training us. And the Scripture changes us by rebuking us and teaching us and preparing us so that we can do good works and do the work of God. The verse makes complete sense. The Scripture is here for us to, to read so that we are changed and so that we're prepared so that we are able to go and do the work God has for us. So I feel like we're not completely or fully prepared if we're cutting out parts or ignoring parts of His Scripture. Uh, we're missing out on some of the teaching or we're missing out on some of the correction that we need or we're missing out on some of the training that's going to make us the mature believer that God calls us to be. So I want to help us this morning understand how we can come to some of these passages that we flip through, that we just ignore passages you never hear sermons on, sometimes for good reason. We're going to understand this morning how we can come to them and how they can help us in teaching, rebuking, correcting, or training. Let's talk about some boring passages in Scripture. Let's be honest. Not all of Scripture is exciting. Some of it is boring. I can't think of anything more boring in Scripture than genealogies. And there are plenty of them in the Scripture. Just look at this chart. I, I just looked at the picture and was bored. I didn't even bother looking at it carefully because it's boring. What parts of Genesis you read and you're just reading lists of names that you can't pronounce. First Chronicles, the first nine chapters... Nine chapters are a one big genealogy. It probably will take you 10 minutes or more, maybe 20 minutes to read all the names. In Nehemiah, there's a list of names of the people who built the wall. Matthew, the gospel begins with a genealogy. These things are sprinkled in Ezra and other places, just lists of names. It can't get more boring than that. And you know what we do when we get to those names? We flip the page until we get to something that's not a name. That's what we do with them. So I can understand that, especially when you can't pronounce them. That makes it even harder. But a, a, the genealogies specifically, let's talk about them, and we'll just talk about boring passages in general. But genealogies do have a purpose. Otherwise, it wouldn't be in the Bible. So what is the purpose of them? I want you to think about this for a moment. One thing I love about the genealogies, it shows us that God cares about individuals, individual people. Not just a nation of Israel, not just a group called the church, but He cares about people as individuals. I think we'd have a different understanding of the genealogies if our name was in it. Or one of our ancestors was in it. I bet you if you knew that in reading one of those, that was your great, 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 whatever grandfather, you'd be telling people, hey, you know what? My great, 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 great grandfather's in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 16. Did you know that? Let me show you. Wouldn't you be excited about that? 
I, I think about when I see the commercials for Ancestry.com or whatever, and someone's telling their story about what they found, and really, I don't care what they found because it's not my family. You know, to me, it's kind of boring. But if that were me, I'd be pretty excited about it. So I think if you look at them a little bit differently, the genealogies are very exciting to people that are in them, are connected to them. You know what the truth is? We are connected to them. And we're individuals. Uh, The genealogies also show us that the Bible is history. These are real people connected in time. The Bible is just not a fairy tale, not just made up. I think what's most important about the genealogy specifically, it's God showing that he's keeping a promise. And what do I mean by that? From the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, God said that through the woman, through Eve, was going to come one who would crush the serpent, crush Satan. And when these genealogies appear, they're connecting one part of the family to the next part. That's what happens in Genesis. And then... As you read the genealogies of the ancient Israelites, it's showing that the descendants of Adam continue and the chosen people of Israel continue. And the book of Matthew begins with the genealogy because it shows that from the beginning, and one in Luke as well, all the way to Adam, that from the beginning, everything was going towards this one being born, Jesus that he's a fulfillment of that promise all the way back in Genesis. That he's a descendant of Eve through all these different people. There's a lot more in there than just a list of names. But I encourage you when you get to a genealogy, read for something. You know, there was an author who made lots of money on the prayer of Jabez when he wrote a book about that. And I don't know if you remember back, gosh, probably 20 years ago now, there was... The, the prayer of Jabez this and prayer of Jabez that. You could get a book, a website, a bracelet, whatever. I don't know, a t-shirt. That was just, that's in a genealogy. That verse about Jabez and how he prayed for God to expand his territory and bless him. So sometimes you find some interesting things when you read genealogies. But just in general, maybe you come to something boring in Scripture and you just can't stomach it because it, you're just, your eyelids are dropping and you just want to get to something juicier or more exciting. Always think of 2 Timothy 3.16 in your mind as you're reading the scripture. If you come to something boring, keep reading it until you find something there that's going to be beneficial. Find something that's going to correct or train or teach because there's always something there. It's like really looking for, as we say, the diamond and the rough. You know there's places where you can go and you can just find diamonds and you can just put them on, right? A jewelry store. Okay, you go there, there's all kinds of diamonds there. If you have enough money, just take them off the shelf. Put them on your finger. Take them home. But other places like in Arkansas where they have this big field, maybe every once in a while you hear how some... A middle schooler found this diamond in the field in Arkansas. You think those things are just laying on top of the ground? If that were the case, we'd all be down there right now, wouldn't we? We wouldn't be sitting here. But there is this this big field at this state park in Arkansas where they, uh, I think it is anyway, and they'll let you go out there. You can spend all day out there digging around for diamonds. And they're there, and people find them. Sometimes the scripture's like that. 
Some verses are so easy, they're like just buying something from a jewelry store, just taking it. It's right there. But other times you have to dig. But when you dig, you still find the truth, the teaching, the training, the correcting. So do that when it comes to boring passages. What about irrelevant passages? You read it and say, well, my, that has nothing to do with me. I think the whole book of Leviticus is like that. What does it have to do with anything or any of us? It is a book written for priests so that they can offer sacrifices and they can determine skin diseases and they can uh, teach the people how to be a good Israelite. Well, none of us are priests. None of us are Israelites. None of us go to the tabernacle. That is one of the hardest books to read, to be honest, from chapter 1 to the very end of it. You're reading it and reading it. There's no stories in it. There's no uh, comfort food in it. It's just one verse after one chapter of stuff that seems like it has nothing to do with anything in our life. It's completely irrelevant. So what do you do with something like that? Besides what I've already told you about keep reading until you find something, I think also when we come to passages that seem irrelevant, they're there for a purpose. Leviticus in particular, but others as well, are often teaching us something about God, about His character, or about ourselves, or they're leading us to Jesus Christ. And the book of Leviticus in particular does do that. We read about the holiness of God. It's a book of holiness, about how God is holy and He wants His people to be holy. It's a book about sin, because there has to be sacrifices for sin. There has to be festivals that, uh, like the Day of Atonement, where sin is covered. So it, it reminds us that we are sinful people and God is holy, but that He wants to have a relationship with us, and so He always has a way that sin is paid for, sin is atoned for, sin is covered so that we can have a relationship with Him. And when you read Leviticus, you're reading about the one who comes finally to put an end to sacrifice and who tears the veil in the tabernacle, at that time the temple, so that there is relationship between us and God. It's leading us to Jesus so much about Jesus and His sacrifice and what He did for us doesn't mean as much if you don't understand the holiness of God and the sinfulness of us. The book of Leviticus teaches us that. But in other places in Scripture, there's other passages that seem irrelevant. I think one way to help us with that is try to think of something we have in common with what we're reading. You know, anytime we have something in common with someone, we have a better understanding of it. And so if you are reading it, it just seems like, what does this have to do with me? Nothing that they're going through, I'm going through. Again, dig a little bit deeper and maybe you'll see that there is something in common. Uh, the people uh, in Israel who worship God, they had feasts, they had festivals. They're not like our holidays, but think about them. And think about holidays and think about what we celebrate and what they're celebrating. And as you think about that, maybe that helps them to become more relevant than just simply ancient things long ago. 
What about passages that repeat and repeat and repeat? Uh, talking about Leviticus and the tabernacle, one of the most boring parts of Exodus is the end of it. You know, the first part of Exodus, you have the Exodus. So that's all exciting, a baby in a basket and plagues and let my people go and Red Sea being parted. But then God starts telling Moses, this is how I want you to build the tabernacle. And he's putting measurements and he's talking about materials. And so unless you're a designer or you like construction, I'm, I'm checking out right away. And then it also, I mean, you don't have a picture of it. It's just words. But then it gets worse <laughs> because then Exodus tells us, well, the, the construction people and the designers, they got together and they built it. And this is how big they built it. And this is what materials they use. I was just telling you all again, I just read that. Uh, other parts of Scripture, you read First and Second Chronicles, you've already read that. That was First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. The same stories, the same characters, I've already read that. And so sometimes we come to passages of Scripture and it seems boring because we just read it recently or we read that uh, at another time and it's the same thing all over again. But isn't it true that things that happen often are repeated and especially things that need to be learned, God has to repeat so that we learn it? So when we come to Exodus, I think one reason why it's repeated is to show that the people were obedient. God said, build it this way, that people were obedient and built it that way. Even though the same stories are in Chronicles as are in Samuel and Kings, they come to it from a different angle, different perspective. Because you know that's true of any story, any account in life. You can have different eyewitnesses that give a different perspective of the same thing. And so we read them and we say, well, I've heard that before, but now you're hearing it from a different perspective. So things that need to be repeated, God puts in the Bible over and over again sometimes. But I also just want you to think about this in general when you're reading and something seems uh, repetitious or irrelevant or boring. Go back to those passages. In fact, that's true of reading the Bible over and over again. And you know this. Isn't it true that you'll read a passage, sometimes even a familiar one? You'll read the Christmas story again at Christmas, and you'll see something there you haven't seen in the 50 years you've been reading the Christmas story. And why is that? That's because, as I've said many times, the Bible's just not words on a page. It's a living Word of God. Aren't you a different person than you were 50 years ago? <laughs> I'm sure that you can see things and understand things now that you couldn't then. So no wonder you didn't see it when you read the last time. But now you're different. Isn't it true that when we're going through different things, we need to hear different things? And so God speaks to us different things. So if it's true in reading our favorite verses, it's also true reading the boring and the repetitious and the irrelevant passages. Maybe you've read it a hundred times and didn't see a thing in there. Read it the hundred and first time, and God may open your eyes and you say, oh, that is relevant. That's not so boring. That speaks to me. So don't give up on them. 
Now, isn't it true that sometimes when you come to the Scripture, there's some things that are, that are deep theologically? As I shared with you before, the Scripture is, is shallow enough that little toddlers can wade in it, and they can pick up the seashells, and they can enjoy it and learn from it. But it's also deep enough that you can go out into it and you can drown in it <laughs> if you uh, try to understand the depths of Scripture. I mean, in Scripture, I mean, we could talk this morning about Melchizedek, about the book of Revelation, the end times. What about tackling this one, how sovereign God is, but we also have free will? I mean, think about Judas. Did God make Judas betray Jesus, or did Judas decide on himself? I mean, it sounds like, if you read the Scripture, kind of both. You know, the writer of Hebrews was, was chastising his readers that they weren't ready to hear about Melchizedek and the deeper things of Scripture. He was saying, you're still on your ABCs. I have to keep telling you the same basic elementary principle things over and over again. He doesn't say what they are, but I imagine he kept having to tell them the, the, the simple truths of God loves us, Jesus died for us, Jesus is resurrected. Yes, that's the ABCs of Christianity. They need to be repeated. They need to be told. But we need to move beyond that. There's so much more. Then the writer of Hebrews goes on and talks about Melchizedek and many other things in Hebrews. Now, it's interesting to me. I, I've taught the book of Hebrews in sermons couple of different churches, and every time I teach that book, that's when people start getting restless and start complaining about how boring my teaching is and my preaching is. It's just amazing to me that, that even when I try to make it exciting, people are just not into Hebrews, because it does talk about sacrifices, and it talks about Melchizedek, this, this ancient priest that Abraham gave a tenth of his spoils to, but in that the writer of Hebrews is talking about how Jesus is a priest, not in the order of Aaron, but in the order of Melchizedek. And he explains what that means. Because Jesus was from the tribe of Judah, not from the tribe of Levi. Priests come from the tribe of Levi. Jesus couldn't be a priest in the line of Levites and Aaron, but he could in the line of Melchizedek. And even as I'm explaining it now, you're checked out, you're thinking about the macaroni and cheese <laughs> rather than Melchizedek. So sometimes we do need help. But you know what? Life is complicated. The Scripture is complicated in places. Because life is complicated and the Scriptures are complicated doesn't mean we just ignore it. You may need some help. You may have to do some reading. You may have to do some studying with a commentary or a study Bible or something. But again, isn't it worth it to understand these deeper truths than just to always stay in the shallow water, always just continue to go back? God calls us to know Him more and to know Him more completely. And that can't be done unless we go deeper into Scripture. I'll just let you look at that for a moment. Anybody got their mirror? Hold the mirror up to it. You might be able to read it. 
I don't hear anybody laughing yet, so maybe you haven't got to the end of it. I hear some chuckles now. If you can read this with ease, then you are incredibly talented at reading backwards, which is an incredible, pointless talent to have, says the screen. The only reason I read it that well is I've read it a hundred times to make sure I knew it. Sometimes reading something is difficult to interpret and understand. That was the whole point of that. Look at this verse. When, the, when mankind began to multiply in the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of mankind were beautiful, and they took any they chose as wise for themselves. The Nephilim were on the earth both in those days and afterward when the sons of God came to the daughters of mankind who bore children to them. They were the powerful men of old, the famous men. What is that? And then when you read in Peter about angels that are imprisoned, it makes even less sense. Are these sons of God, are they angels coming down and procreating with human women? That sounds bizarre and unlikely and impossible. If not, then who are they? This is a passage that is difficult to interpret. And there are many of them in Scripture. You read them, you don't understand them. And you read the study Bibles and you read the commentaries and the theologians don't understand them either. And so that's what I say about some of these verses. God knows what He said, right? But our understanding is limited. And it is amazing that over the centuries we have understood some things better as we have found new archaeological evidence or we find uh, another uh, copy of Scripture or something happens and we find more information and passages start to make more sense. So that happens sometimes. But also, anytime you read the Scripture, pray that God will help you to understand it. As I said, it's, it's His Word. It's living. It's not meant to be obscure or hard to understand. But it is sometimes because our understanding is limited. And our sinfulness at times keeps us from understanding it completely. And I think it's also okay to be uncertain about something. If you want an answer from what Genesis 6 is saying, I don't really know, to be honest with you. But I am okay with the fact I don't really know. It's the beginning of the story of Noah. And the point of what Moses is writing about is that the world was a completely different place than it is now. And it was a place filled with evil and sin where God was so was relenting that He'd even made people. He was going to destroy the world with a flood, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And that's what the story is about. It's the introduction, it's the preface to the story, an illustration of how evil and how different the times were. The details of it, I don't understand. God will let us know when we get to heaven. Finally, what about some unpleasant passages? The scripture talks about all these things. Polygamy, incest, rape, murder, genocide, suicide, mutilation of a corpse, sacrifice of children, sodomy, civil war, war crimes, violent punishments from God. That's all in the Bible. Do you hear many sermons about those passages? Usually you don't hear sermons is because we're in mixed company. There's women, there's men, there's children. You hear me oftentimes trying to be delicate and sensitive to that fact. 
But it's true that parts of the Bible are rated R or even rated X, not for children to read. That's strange to some people when they think about the good book. If it's the good book, why isn't it rated G? You know, why isn't it all of it able to be read by a child and not be offensive or hard to explain to a child? The reason is the Bible's real. It's real life. This list is not much different than if you listen to the news. Over a course of a week, I bet all of these things you would hear in the news. That's because that's what life is. The scripture doesn't sugarcoat the reality of human sinfulness. It shows us how dark and evil we are. But it also points to Jesus who dies for sin and changes us from these dark, sinful people to righteous and holy people. So, I'm not going to talk about any of those passages this morning, but they are there. When it comes to things that are unpleasant, don't ignore them. Read them. As I've shared with you before, the last part of Judges, is, in my opinion, is the vilest part of the whole Bible. If you noticed in that list, a quarter of them were from the book of Judges. And you know how the last verse of Judges ends? It says, people did what was right in their own eyes. When people do what they think is right in their own eyes, that's when we have all of those things happen. The book of Judges is showing us that God can deliver from sin because that's what the judges did from oppression and from sin, but it also shows how the people continued to sin and disobey God and they went down a spiral and did what they thought was right in their own eyes. And it ends up with the atrocities of the last part of the book. That's why it's there, to show us the reality of what life is. Finally, this is the last slide. Read through the Bible, the whole thing. I encourage you to do that. Several different times in your life. I mean, some people try to read through the Bible in a year. I encourage that. It would take you, you only have to read about three chapters a day to read through the whole Bible in a year. But I encourage you to even read it differently. I would, because sometimes when you do that, you, it does get chopped up. And you just get stuck in the middle of a story. Or you don't read a whole book of the Bible as it was intended. Now, the letters of Paul are letters that are written. You don't read... When you get a letter from someone, you don't read the first part of it and put it away. Then come back the next day and read the second part of it. And then read the third. You just read the whole thing. So I would encourage you to read whole books of the Bible. Maybe that's the best way to start doing this. Take a book of the Bible and read it in one sitting from chapter 1 to the end of it. Some of them, of course, are longer than others. Philemon, you can read before I finish my prayer in a moment, okay? But Ezekiel's going to take you a lot longer to read. And Psalms, if you read all of them, it may take you a whole day, depending on how fast you can read. But do that. Read the whole book at one sitting, 
because then you get to hear the whole story or hear the whole letter. And then as you do that, you end up reading the entire Bible. Or you can read it from Genesis to Revelation, three chapters a day. That's another way to read it. Or another way I've read it is they actually have Bibles that are printed that are chronological Bibles. So it has readings every day, but you don't read from Genesis to Revelation necessarily. You read from the beginning of time and come to the end of time. And so the passages are arranged in chronological order, which is slightly different than the biblical order that we know as we recite the books of the Bible. So there's lots of different ways to do it, but just do it. Because if you do that, reading a whole book at one sitting, or reading the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, or reading it chronologically, you're not going to skip over anything. You'll have to read the ugly parts, the boring parts, the difficult parts, the irrelevant parts, because they'll be there. And as you read them, think about the tips I've given you to make them relevant and life-changing and help you to be the well-equipped servant of God that God has called you to be. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that your word, that your word, God, is very, very relevant and beneficial and life-changing for us. My prayer is simple for us this morning that we read all of your word and that we're changed by all of it. I pray this morning that some would take the challenge to read all of your word and allow all of it to change them. And I pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen.